Welcome to Keeping Afloat, Episode 4. It's Cruise Director Kabir, and as my title suggests, I work on a cruise ship. I have the unique and incredible honor of being able to see the world and go through some amazing experiences. And now, you get to come with me. This is the story of my life at sea and just trying to keep afloat. Now remember to check out my real-life up-to-date Instagram at CruiseDirectorKabir and www.CruiseDirectorKabir.com. Just a quick disclaimer, the views expressed in this show are mine and not that of any brand that I'm associated with. Also, the names of the characters in this story have been changed from their original ones. Right now, I am standing on my ship along the promenade, and it's a chilly day here in Brest, France. Now, as I look down along the side of the ship, I'm so used to seeing water, but now it's the ground, like a brown concrete floor. The ship is currently in dry dock, a process that I still find amazing. So basically, the ship sails itself into this area that closes off, and then water is slowly drained out. Then the ship comes to rest on a series of blocks, which is pretty cool. Like, wooden blocks are currently holding up the ship that I am standing on. This allows for the underside of the ship to be completely exposed, meaning that it can be painted and maintained, including the propellers, stabilizers, and anchors, which they release slowly, so they're all out right now and lying next to the ship. The interior spaces are updated and just overall maintenance for the ship is carried out. Now, the most interesting part is there are no guests on board. And it's so weird to go through venues that generally have musicians playing or games going on and having it be absolutely silent and just these loud machines whirring. Now, when I went to go and visit the singers and dancers that are currently rehearsing in the theater, they were rehearsing just on stage, as they do, but then all around the theater, where usually there's an audience, there were just pieces of scaffolding and ceiling panels and construction workers. Now, Dry Dock gives us, the crew, this unique perspective into seeing another side of the ship, seeing it as this technical marvel. And then, before we know it, the ship comes back together and sparkles before she heads back into service, just absolutely gleaming. Now this really resonates with me, because it's something that I find myself having to do as well. It's so important to know how to manage stress and take care of myself, and that's why I exercise and I meditate. But in my early days on board, I didn't really have that outlet, and I needed it, because I was about to find out what life on ships could really be like. And with that, let's cast off. As I had mentioned last episode, I wasn't allowed to officially drink on board. And I realized I probably should have explained that a little bit more. Now you see, the cruise line that I worked for was an American cruise line, which meant that the drinking age on board was 21. I was 20 at the time that I was hired. In fact, when I was hired, I had to get in touch with someone in Canada to coordinate my paperwork. And when she went through it, she sent an email saying that basically I was too young and wouldn't process me anymore. She sent an email to the cruise line, and then, funny enough, the vice president of Zed Cruises had to sign off on me joining. Anyway, my manager, Mario, told me it was fine to hang in the staff bar that they called meetings, super creative with the name, and Mario sometimes gave me a drink, and nobody really batted an eye. 
One evening, he sent me to go and grab him a bottle of water from the bar. I walked up to the counter, and as I approached, I saw a familiar haircut, kind of short hair, and I figured out it was the spa manager, not the person that I want to speak to. This was the one who was staring me down a few days ago for answering my phone during that spa demonstration, and all I could think was thank goodness Mario gave me a vodka cranberry before this, because I could not do it without the help of that. So I got up there and the spa manager turned to me and looked me up and down. Then she kind of leaned over and said, aren't you the one who answered his phone during that demonstration? To which I said, yeah. And she goes, well, let's have a drink. What are you having? So I told her I couldn't drink on board to which she said, no, whatever, I'm getting you a Pinot Noir. And that evening became an absolute riot. I learned that her name was Gajo, and we had so much in common. We grew up in similar cultures and just got on so well. It turned out that she had been at sea for 20 years and had been spa director and in head office for 19 of them. You could never tell that by looking at her. She was so kind, open, and genuine. And I knew that Gajal was definitely a friend that would be sticking around. And I can truly say that Gajal was the very first true friend I ever made on ships. By this point in my contract, I'd had the chance to get to know Mario, my manager, pretty well. It had been about a month or so, and I'd picked up on a few things. Number one, Dale, the cruise director, made Mario very nervous. Like, if Dale said something to Mario, he'd run around as though he was about to have his head chopped off. It's actually kind of funny. Second, Mario was extremely energetic on the mic, and totally different off the mic. Like, he could host the most energetic dance event, and then fall asleep minutes later. And the third thing was that he liked to be the host of activities and game shows and for Charlie and I to assist him and nothing more. So that meant setting up for stuff, taking things down and running smaller things during the day, but never hosting with Mario. Now something he would let me host every once in a while was an evening game show, and this was rare. And you know what? As a team, we actually had fun with them. I think out of the gate, I wasn't that bad of a host at all. But when you're new, you end up mimicking a lot of who you watch. So I found myself being just as energetic as Mario and trying to bounce off of his jokes a bit. But I learned a lot from Charlie, the other activity host as well. Now, Charlie rocked for showing me how to organize absolutely everything that we did. And at the end of the day, if there was an activity, we had to set it up and take it down. On top of that, Charlie usually led line dances, something that cruise people really love, like it's a thing. And I had two left feet at the time, and I couldn't remember the moves to save my life. But the end was near because Charlie's contract was about to finish, which meant that I now had to learn all those line dances and all the stuff that he knew, which was a lot. So I recorded videos of him doing the dances, and I even put together this book of information that basically covered every single duty that I had. And it all set in. I'd have to be doing all this stuff on my own in just a few days. At this point, I was sharing a cabin with Pablo. 
the guitarist from the ship's party band called The Grooves. And their favorite song to play, by the way, was Love Shack by the B-52s, which in turn became my new favorite song. And then I listened to it too much. Anyway, back to the story. I was rooming with Pablo, which was actually all right. He wasn't usually in the room, just to change and grab his stuff every once in a while. But most of the time, I'd end up missing him because I was at work. But then I ended up getting some awesome news that cruise. It turned out that the kids club manager was in a relationship with the restaurant manager. Now these relationships are pretty common on ships, but theirs was really interesting because they had met four years prior when he was a waiter and she was just part of the youth staff. Then they climbed the ranks and eventually they became managers, which meant that they got their own rooms. Now Mario found out that she wasn't using her room and very kindly asked if I could have it, seeing that it was free. Now this was an inside cabin on deck two, so I finally got the chance to move in and set up my own space. This was monumental. It was an amazing move. I felt like I had my own spot, my own refuge on board, and getting that room was a huge anomaly because the cabin that you get depends on your rank. If you're one stripe or lower, you'd end up with a shared cabin or a single share. Basically, this is a really tiny room with a bed that flips down from the wall, and then you get this tiny shared bathroom in the middle that's maybe two feet wide by three feet deep. So two cabins are with one bathroom in the middle. Now it's small, but you've also got your own space. So it's a plus and minus. Then you get into single inside rooms, shared rooms with a porthole, single rooms with a porthole, and then officer suites, like the one that the cruise director gets. Now at this point in my career, as an activity host, I was entitled to a shared room. So having my own room was pretty incredible, window or not. And to this day, that was actually one of my favorite cabins. It was small but cozy, tons of storage space, uh, in fact, I'm going to link to it with a picture on the Cruise Director Kabir Facebook page, so make sure you look for that and comment what you think of it. Charlie was on his last few days on board, and he'd been on for six months, so hosting shows was not his favorite thing to do. And I think Dale told Mario that I needed to get on the microphone a little bit more. So a few times, Mario let me host some of the evening game shows. Now, they take place in this kind of court type of area. It was between the theater and the shops. And we would put game shows between the shows. That way, we'd catch people leaving the theater. Now, I'd be ready to go as soon as the show let out. And I won't lie, I was getting pretty good. It took getting used to hosting for a live audience because when I had my TV talk show, I was used to just speaking to a camera. But being live meant that I got an instant reaction, which was very, very satisfying. Now, it also came with its own challenges. So basically, if something went wrong, you had to go with it. And you're relying on the guests to be the contestants. And you have no clue what these guests are going to say. Plus, I was responsible for setting up and tearing down with Charlie. Now, after Charlie left at the end of that cruise, I hosted a lot of stuff on my own, just with Mario watching. And there were a couple of times that I thought I had dropped the ball. I'd arrive 25 minutes early to go over the technical setup. You know, like making sure the projector's connected, sound is plugged in, and all that. Then I'd go into the office to get the prizes and print the score sheets. Then I'd go back about 5-10 minutes before we were due to start and around the time that the show was letting out of the theater. Now that way I could convince people to stay and watch the game show. 
you know, as you do. Now, in the Caribbean, they were pretty good about that, but you still have to be there to encourage them. Then, the cruise after Charlie left, I arrived for one of the game shows. It was called Superstars, literally a quiz game show. Everything was done and dusted, set up 25 minutes before the show was due to start. But this time, when I arrived, the adapter that I used to plug into my iPhone to connect to my projector was gone. Now, I knew I had plugged it in, so of course I frantically am looking around for it. I eventually found it in a drawer that was in the office, but we ended up starting 10 minutes late because of that. Later that day, I got called in to see Mario in the office, and he basically scolded me for being unprepared. But something was off to me. I knew I had set up that show well in advance, and at the time, I didn't really think much of it, so I let it go and just treated it as a learning experience. nights later, I was in the same position, arriving a half hour before, which is extra early, preparing everything and then going to the office for five minutes. I got back to the setup 15 minutes before we were due to start, and this time the cable which connected to the projector from my phone was faulty, but I had just tested it right before I went to the office, and it worked perfectly fine. So then I had to get in touch with the AV techs. Now this time, the delay was only five minutes. But out of the corner of my eye, I could see Mario standing on the other side of the space, glaring at me as I announced there was going to be a delay. He walked past me and into the office, and I just knew, like, do you know that look a manager gives you when you've messed up? That's totally what I got, and that typical head shake. Sure enough, I was called into a meeting the following morning about another event starting late. Now, this time I thought it was excessive. I was in my first month hosting my own game shows, I had put a number of checks and balances in place, and frankly, I just thought five minutes wasn't a huge deal. Now this was my mentality as a host. And of course, Mario was very, very clear. Another infraction would result in a formal written warning. My next game show was that evening, and I did absolutely everything I could to prepare. I had printed everything out early, and set it up 45 minutes before we were due to start, which, funny enough, is before the show in the theater even started. Now, I did think at this point this was overkill, and the benefit of this was I was pretty relaxed, so I spoke to this lovely guest that was kind of in the entertainment space, and it was just a stunning venue. I had the chance to look up and see these gorgeous LED lights, and it was amazing. Now, Mario had walked by a few times, kind of looking at me, and I'm sure he was impressed. I was being proactive, after all. And after I saw him, I ran to the bathroom just for, I would say, two minutes. Now, as I arrived to the projector and my game show setup, I saw Mario picking up my microphone. He opened the battery compartment, and took out one of the two batteries. Then he slid it closed and put it back on my podium. He walked the opposite direction, so I didn't see him or make eye contact with him, and he didn't see me, if that makes sense. Then it hit me. Mario, for some reason, was purposely ruining my events and then scolding me for it. So I went through the game show and finished the evening not saying a word about it to anybody. All I could think was, how do I address this? The facts are, I'm new to the role, 
my one colleague that I knew left and I'm a team of one, which means that it's my word against my managers and my manager has it out for me. So I consulted the only person at that point that knew what I could be going through. Angie, the person who got me the job. Now at this point, she was a cruise director on another ship in the fleet. So I wrote her an email with all the details of what was happening. And her response was as informative as it was sympathetic. And I remember one of her lines was, this is ships, honey, trust no one. I thought it sounded dark. Or was it just real? And at that point, I really didn't know. The next day, I decided to go to the HR director's office on deck three, just off of the I-95 crew corridor. Now, the HR director is a senior officer, and they wear an officer's uniform with three and a half gold stripes. Now, this HR director's name was Paul, a 60-ish American man with white hair. Well, some white hair. He was mostly bald. And the first thing I thought when I looked at him was that he looked like some sort of clergy. And funny enough, he actually told me that he was clergy. Paul was from Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States, and had the coolest, calming accent. Anyway, the first thing I asked him was, is everything that I say to you confidential? And I thought I'd ask that because my mom, as a psychotherapist, has strict confidentiality guidelines that she needs to follow with her patients. And as an HR director, I would think that some of those confidentiality guidelines need to be followed as well. One would hope. Now, sure enough, Paul said, yeah, of course, I won't repeat anything that you say to me. You call the shots on how you'd like your issues dealt with, depending on their severity. If they warrant it, I'll have to get involved. So I basically just told him everything that happened, how Mario had watched two of my shows, then sabotaged my latest game show. I told him that I felt threatened and didn't know where to go. Now, Paul gave me a few options. And the first was to facilitate a meeting between Mario and I with Paul, the HR director, present. But given that it was my word against Mario's, I just thought this could be a really messy situation. The other option was to monitor it and to report it if it happened again and check the CCTV cameras. I decided I just wanted to let it go and needed some advice and basically to chat to Mario on my own, just Mario and I. And he did, after all, give me that swanky solo cabin, so there has to be some sort of good in him. And who knows what's actually going on behind the scenes. So I went to my cabin, and about 10 minutes later, my phone rings, and it was Mario. And in a very stern tone, he said, Kabir, come to the office, please. It was neutral, but kind of aggressive. And right away, my heart started beating through my chest. Could he be really giving me that written warning for that game show last night? It just really wasn't a good sign. As I walked into the office, Mario swiveled around in his chair, almost like a Disney supervillain, and I could not take him seriously. He told me to have a seat across from him, and as I sat down, he stood up. Do you have an issue with my management style, he said, because I think you do. See, I just got a call from Dale, who got a call from HR director Paul, saying that you've been down there talking about me. 
Now, I was flabbergasted. All I said was, yeah, I was because I saw you taking the battery out of my microphone yesterday. Mario looked at me and narrowed his eyes. And how do you think this is going to go? You're new here. And at this point, all I could think was, confidentiality my butt. My response to Mario was plain and simple. Mario, are you threatened by me? And he glared at me because he knew that I could see right through his game. And I knew that at this point, I'd have to stick up for myself because there was literally nobody else. Mario, I'm not out to get you, but trust me, if you want to play this game, I will win. I have a goal and I will not sway away from it. This industry is big enough for the two of us, but going against me is not going to help either of us succeed. Now, I would play fair, but only at the beginning. And after that, all bets would be off. Now, after I gave that last line, Mario sat down and he looked up and took a breath and he actually apologized. He said, I'm really sorry, man. I don't know what I was thinking. And I just said that it was okay and we all have our moments, but I made a mental note. Angie was right. Trust nobody. Mario was sabotaging my events and the HR director, Paul, had completely betrayed my trust. And in the end, it actually worked out and I never had an issue with Mario again. He became a friend and an ally. Sort of. Thank you so much for checking out episode four of Keeping Afloat. Working on cruise ships means being with the same people for months on end and having to get along. It's a balancing act, and it doesn't matter if you like them or not. They could be your boss or work for you, but in the end, you're all in the same boat, literally. And there was so much more that I needed to learn. This wasn't even the tip of the iceberg. Like how in the next episode, we're going to meet Miguel, the new activity host that I would get to train. And he's also Mario's best friend from Mexico. Plus, in a unique smile from the universe, Angie's ship docks with me on the same day and we get to have lunch together. The first time that we've seen each other in years. That and so much more on our next episode. Now make sure to check out my Facebook page and my Instagram linked in the comments below. Until next time, it's all about keeping afloat. Talk to you soon.